Uh, good morning. It's really good to be worshiping with you um, this morning. Um, it's a privilege to have this opportunity to preach. Uh, actually, I'm just grateful to be preaching in English um, for this brief period while we're back in the States. Uh, quick story. So um, probably about a year ago, I was leading a Bible study uh, in Japanese uh, at a church that I was interning at. And so we met on Fridays in the middle of the day. There's, I was leading a, the study, had about eight to ten adults, and we were going through the book of Galatians. And um, we were in chapter two, and I was talking about the false teachers that were plaguing the church. And so I, um, for about 15 minutes, I was talking about the teachers, and finally an elder who'd been attending the, st- the study raised his hand uh, and corrected me. So it turns out the term that I thought was false teachers, I'd been saying false little girls had been plaguing the church. Um, they probably thought, this guy's really digging into the, the Greek here. Um, anyways, it, it explained the thoroughly confused faces I saw staring back at me. Um, all that to say, I'm really grateful to be preaching in English this morning. Um, So yeah, we've been serving in Tokyo, Japan for about five years now. Um, If you've not been to Japan, uh, Japan is a remarkable place. Um, You know, even in a city as big as Tokyo, it's an incredibly clean place. Uh, Jim Gaffigan has a joke uh, where he says that you leave a Japanese public restroom uh, cleaner than you went in. Um, And it's true, actually. Um, It's an incredibly safe place. My Third grader and first grader, uh, like all Japanese elementary school kids, they walk to school uh, by themselves and back every day. Um, The Japanese are incredibly polite, loyal, some of the hardest working, most diligent people I've ever encountered. Um, So here's a question. What is the gospel to such a people, to such a place? A A place that's safe, clean, orderly, people who are loyal and hardworking. I was recently asked, um, what is the greatest hurdle for the Japanese coming to faith, coming to Jesus? And I'd say, like it is for many of us, it's seeing our need of him. So this morning, uh, I'm going to preach on the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Um, Luke 15 begins this way with verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners came near to Jesus to listen to him. Verse 2. Then the Pharisees and scribes complained, This man is receiving sinners and eating with them. So then Jesus responds to the, the, the Pharisees with three parables. The first was the story of the lost sheep. The second was the story of the lost coin. And this is the third, the story of the lost sons. Uh, so beginning in verse 11... Let's read our passage. Let me actually. One moment. I forgot my Bible. The preacher forgets his Bible. That's not good. All right. Starting in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son 
gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older, now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look these many years, I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for gathering us here and for your word. Uh, Lord, forgive the sins of the preacher, uh, for they are many, and bless this, the preaching of your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I want you to recall a time when you were ill-treated by someone or you didn't get along with a a person or maybe you just didn't agree with the way that this other person was doing things. Um, For me... Such a time was I just graduated uh, with an engineering degree from UNL, and I got a job here in Lincoln working for an engineering firm. Um, so I was brand new uh, to the team, and uh, technically, a guy who worked under me, a technician, uh, he gave me a hard time every day. Uh, he had an annoying personality. He made fun of me at every turn. He'd come to my cubicle and just kind of like, creep over my shoulder and point out things I was doing wrong. Um, He was often late and lazy. Uh, All this to say, him and I did not get along. Um, Every time I heard of a small misfortune that happened to him, I couldn't help but think that maybe he deserved it. When when his boss scolded him or um, when he complained about a parking ticket, I thought, you know what? 
he probably deserved that. I didn't feel sorry for him. Uh, what goes around comes around, right? Actually, yeah, when I was preaching this passage in Japanese, um, you know, that's a universal-ism uh, phrase. What goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. Um, in Japanese, it's a single word, jigo jitoku. Uh, so when I was preaching this passage in Japanese and mentioned this story, I used that word, and everyone, all the, everyone in the audience kind of chuckled. And they chuckled for probably, probably for two reasons. One, they were surprised that the goofy foreigner knew the word. Um, and two, because they could relate. They're like, bingo, that's the sentiment. Jigo jitoku. Um, you, you get what you deserve. Uh, what goes around comes around. So does anyone come to mind for you? A neighbor, a coworker, a relative? That, pass, that, that, that person in this, in this passage is the young brother. We're not to like him. When misfortune happens to him, we can't help but think that maybe he deserved that misfortune. Um, so we're going we're gonna to walk through the passage together. This, this parable preaches, so I'm going to let it preach. Um, let's begin in verse 11. Um, and the father said, or, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. So traditionally, let me make sure I'm... Yeah. Uh, so verse 11. Uh, traditionally, um, if a man has two sons two-thirds of the property goes to the older brother, and one-third goes to the younger son. Uh, verse 12. And the, younger, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the second son, probably a teenager, uh, does not want to wait for his father to die, but he uh, wants his inheritance as soon as possible. And the father obliges uh, the son's request. Uh, Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So then the younger son uh, probably, he received his inheritance probably in in the form of cattle and land, uh, and he immediately converts it into cash. And he he doesn't stay nearby the family, but he goes to a far-off country. He doesn't spend the money wisely, but he wastes it quickly in a party lifestyle. Verse 14 and 15. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field, in the, to the fields to feed pigs. So eventually, his bad decisions cap, catch up with him, and they lead to misfortune. Famine sets in, and with no more money, he goes to work as a migrant laborer. He's forced to work in the field with pigs. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So to the Jews, pigs were considered unclean animals. This job would have been considered quite lowly uh, and undesirable to the second son. In addition, he became so hungry that he wanted to eat the food that they were feeding to the pigs. So at this time, um, anyone hearing the story that Jesus was sharing would have began to felt sick to their stomach. 
Jesus was painting a pretty nasty picture. Um, by way of illustration, I hate mayonnaise. Um, and when I was in high school, I worked at a drugstore, uh, and this drugstore sold groceries. And um, there's this one time we had in back, um, you know, the racks that hold all the food and, um, and items and whatnot. Well, one of the, the, one of the shelves, the second shelf up, held an, a pallet full of mayonnaise, about 100 jars of mayonnaise wrapped up in the cellophane. And uh, this pallet of 100 jars or so of mayonnaise uh, was not sitting quite right on the shelf. And um, we all saw it, but we didn't do anything about it. Um, we all kind of had that same thought, like, that's not good. Um, until finally one day... Um, we all heard this massive crash and it ran to the back. Sure enough, that pallet had dropped about 10 feet um, and glops of mayonnaise and shards of glass kind of exploded everywhere throughout the warehouse. Um, it was disgusting. Um, and, and guess who had to clean it up? I did, all right? Uh, well, at least for the last half hour of my shift and then the next poor sop got it. Um, but can you imagine, like, what if I had been in such a state that, um, that the, I was so hungry that that mayonnaise in the broken shards of glass began to look uh, delicious, tasty? That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. This guy was a, in a rough spot. Let's continue. Um, verse 17. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So the reality was uh, he had no friends. No one cared if he lived or died. Even his father's servants found, them off, found themselves better off than he was. So he's beginning to wake up to the reality of things, the consequences, the consequences of his poor decisions. Verse 18, he says to himself, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Uh, verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he decides to go home and repent and ask his father to take him in as a hired hand. He realized how dishonorable his conduct had been. He'd squandered a third of the family wealth and thought only of himself, and he was incredibly foolish. So how's the father going to respond uh, to his return? Well, let's look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, or saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So this, this verse here is a pretty important verse in the passage. Um, and I want to point out three uh, things from this verse. Uh, these come from Paul Miller um, in See Jesus Ministries, the author of A Praying Life, if you're familiar. Um, but So the first is that there are no, no trees on the horizon in the Middle East, um, a lot like Nebraska. You can see for a long way. Uh, actually, probably up to a mile you could see um, on a good day. So while he was far, far away, his father saw him coming. So that makes you kind of ask the question, how did his father see him coming? 
how often had the father been looking to the horizon uh, to see his son? Well, the answer is pro- he, he was looking constantly to the horizon. He didn't take his, his eyes away. He was worried. His, he missed his son. How long had the son been gone? How long had the father been uh, looking to the horizon uh, for his son? And when he found his son, he ran to him. And that's the second point. Uh, in the Middle East, patriarchs, older men, they don't run. Women and children uh, ran, but older men, especially the heads of families, they don't run. Even today, it's considered quite shameful uh, for an older man, man to, to run. And yet, in this passage, the father ran. And third, um, so he didn't only run because he wanted to see his son. He ran to protect his son from the community, from the villagers uh, nearby. Um, you see, so having his son leave with about a third of the family wealth would have had a huge uh, economic impact, not only on his family, but on the entire community. So imagine with me, um, there's a small town dependent on, a, on one factory. And suppose the son of the factory owner takes one-third of the business and sells it. And then he goes away. And then, as a consequence, the, the factory in that town closes and a bunch of jobs are lost. Um, then that very same son comes back to that town looking for work. How do you think the town would, re- would respond? Um, you see, the, the villagers, if they discovered that the son had returned... Uh, they would no doubt go to the edge of the village to stone him. Um, and so that's the reason um, that the father is running to his son. He not only misses him, but he's, he's going to protect him. And when he met his son, he hugged him, and he kissed him before his son could say anything. But the, but the son says, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't hear the scripted speech. It didn't matter. His son had returned. Uh, Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So he gives his son the best robes, shoes, perhaps a ring with the family crest on it to signify that he's restored to the family. Verse 23, and he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. So the father throws a huge party. Why? Verse 24, he says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Um, I think recently as I was reflecting on this passage, just his, his answer, his reasoning for the celebration is not complex. It's quite simple. Um, what, what was lost is found. Uh, what, is, what was considered dead is alive again. So this exchange between the father and the son, um, the son res- receives undeserved honor from the father. What does the father receive from the son? 
The father takes on the son's shame. His, um, the shame of his foolishness, um, of his mistakes, of his debt. It's a beautiful picture of love, of compassion, forgiveness. This exchange here is a reminder to us that, um, that love is costly. There's a giving of honor. There's an absorbing of shame uh, in the act of love. The missing, so, so the missing son was found. Everyone celebrated the fact that the, the son who was presumed dead is alive. That's the end of the story, right? Not quite. Not everyone celebrated. Um, let's read verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Have you guys ever been late to a party? You ever had that thought, like, man, they could have waited for me to start, right? Like, or maybe they didn't tell you about the party, and you're like, man, why didn't they, why didn't they tell me about the party? That's kind of what's going on for the, the older son here. Um, verse 26, 27, 28. And the older son called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. The older son was hard, was working hard on the field. Uh, he was faithfully doing everything that was expected of him. When he, when he returned, everyone was celebrating his disgraced brother. Then he became angry. Why was he angry? Let's read in his own words. Um, his father came out and entreated him. Verses, then let's read verse 29 and 30. But the son answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? He's saying, it's not fair. This isn't fair. I deserve better than him. I never disobeyed. I did everything I was told. This is why he's mad. The elder son was obedient, faithful, uh, hardworking. The second son was reckless and unfaithful. The elder son received nothing special, and yet a grand feast was held for the second son's return. The elder son was angry and couldn't even call, his, call him brother. He called him this son of yours. The father responds, verse 31 and 32. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Can you resonate a little bit with the, the older brother? Are you, too, a little frustrated with the father? I mean, shouldn't the elder son receive um, better than the younger? I mean, you get what you deserve, right? Jigo Jitoku. But let's, let's step, step back a minute. Let's take a breath. Let's look at this. This is not a question of fairness or who deserves more. A father's love uh, for his son is not earned 
through obedience. It is right and natural to rejoice when something lost is found, when someone presumed dead is found alive. Compassion is good and right, but sin resists what is good and right. Notice that it was the father who went to the eldest son. He noticed that his son was missing, and he went to him. He was concerned, and he spoke gently to him. He uh, heard his son express his anger and gently explained why they were celebrating. The father graciously pursues the elder son like he did the younger. The elder, the elder brother worked hard, thought he deserved to be loved um, and rewarded more. But he had everything that he needed. He wasn't lacking. And yet he could not stand um, that such a person, especially his younger brother, would receive such a blessing. If anyone deserved a blessing, such a blessing, it was him, not his brother. Pride causes us to compare ourselves to others, to covet, and to be jealous. So whereas the father saw the second son and immediately felt pity for him, the eldest son saw his brother and immediately despised him. The elder son was unable to have compassion because his pride had gotten in the way. His sin made him incapable of love. The elder son got angry, not only with his brother, but actually especially with his father. Man, what a plot twist. The end of the parable has the dishonorable and reckless son, warm, eating, drinking, celebrating with his family, and the loyal, obedient son is left outside in the cold, alone, dirty from work, and bitter. And no one wants him outside. It's his choice to be there. Our pride isolates us and makes us miserable. Why would Jesus tell such a story? Why did it end up this or, or end this way? Now remember who this parable is for. Jesus is telling the parable to the Pharisees, who are complaining that Jesus is spending time with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, and even eating with them. You see, the, the Pharisee dedicated his life to serving God, to pursuing holiness, to obeying all the rules. You know, when we think of sinners in need of repentance, we probably often think of people who lie, who commit crimes, are lazy or abusive. But when we think of sinners in need of repentance, do we think of the honest, hardworking gentleman? Or do we think of the kindly old lady in the corner? You might ask, is it not enough to obey? Uh, and Jesus would answer, no, not without compassion. Um, Actually, in Matthew 9.13, Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6 in response to the same complaint by the Pharisees. Um, Your masters, the teachers, eating and drinking with sinners. Uh, And Jesus responds with, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying, just as you experience my compassion, go and show compassion. Christian maturity is not just a perfect score on a Christian checklist, though discipline is 
is not bad. It's absolutely needed. Love is hard. Um, but Christian maturity is a more tangible increase in our capacity for, for compassion. The giving of honor, the taking upon of shame. The elder son, son's sin in this, is the same as the second son's sin here. Pride and self-centeredness. It was due to pride and self-centeredness that the second son left with his own inheritance without any regard for anyone else. And it was due to pride and self-centeredness that the older brother was bitter and estranged from his uh, father and brother. But so throughout the Bible, especially uh, throughout the Gospels, we're reminded that sin is not only a, manner, a matter of, of actions, but rather, more importantly, it's a matter of the heart. The focus of this parable is not on the younger brother, but on the elder brother. It is the return of the, the second son um, and the forgiveness of the father that exposes and brings to light the pride and the self-centeredness of the first son. Uh, so there was a, a time um, when I was working as a ministry intern uh, at a church. It, I, it was a really long day. Um, I had gotten up on this particular day uh, before the sunrise, and I'd left for my internship and um, been preoccupied with uh, ministry things all day. I had a number of responsibilities. I was stressed out. Um, by the end of the day, I was tired from work. I was excited and ready to, to come home um, for dinner, to rest and relax with my family. Um, and so then I, I enter the house, and it's a complete mess. The to- toys are everywhere. The sink is full of dirty dishes. And Mandy's napping. The kids are running amok. There's no dinner planned. And on top of that, Mandy wakes up and asks me to do the dishes. Uh, I thought to myself, I worked hard. I'd done my part. Why should I help her? Why should I care about my wife and children now? All I wanted to do in that moment was to get out of the house, fulfill my needs, and feel sorry for myself. Have you ever thought like this? No. (laughs) Amen, right? Uh, Just one person, right? Uh, Now, we all know why Mandy was napping. Taking care of three young kids, especially in a foreign country, is absolutely exhausting. But my pride and my self-centeredness had prohibited me from seeing this, from having any compassion for her. As Christians, it's easy to be like the Pharisee or the elder brother. We look down on other Christians or non-Christians. We become dissatisfied with God. We forget the humble reality that we're sinners saved by grace and forgiven because of Jesus. When we encounter someone who's difficult or undeserving, we can have compassion on them. We can love them. We can give honor and take upon ourselves their shame because we know that Jesus first loved us when we didn't deserve it. This is the good news of the gospel. God, seeing that I'm isolated by my sin, focused on myself, obsessed with what I deserve, pursues me with compassion. He sees me in the distance and he runs toward me. He patient, um, he notices me sulking outside and he patiently seeks me out and listens to me. He sees me, has compassion, and loves me. He gives me undeserved honor, invites me into relationship with him, and gives me joy and peace. 
He takes upon himself the shame of my sin and my self-centeredness. Jesus died on the cross, not only for those like the second son, but especially for those like the first son, for those who are faithful, diligent, hardworking, uh, for those of us who believe that we have lived a good life and that God's favor and blessing is deserved. Um, the most gracious thing God can do is show us our sin, to show us how our sin is destroying our relationship with others and our relationship with him. He shows us our need for his grace, his mercy, and forgiveness. Um, the good news is that Jesus sees us, has compassion, and loves us. His forgiveness and grace are, and embrace are freely offered to anyone uh, who's willing to humbly accept them. This is good news to the polite, loyal, self-sacrificial Japanese. It's good news to the self-made, generous, rugged, individualist American. Please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we praise your name. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this parable. Lord, you delight in finding that which is lost and giving it new life. Uh, Forgive us for our pride and self-centeredness. Help us to remember that we love because you first loved us. Help us to remember that in Christ you've taken our shame upon yourself, given us your honor, and that all that, that is yours is ours. Lord, help us to show compassion to those who are difficult and undeserving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.